It is Mother's Day, but I want to tell you, uh, I'm under no obligation to talk about mamas, mothers, women, etc. We're going to. We're going to be in Proverbs 31. If you have your Bible, go ahead and go ahead and grab it and turn to it. Many of you know this passage well. But uh, and I don't just say this by way of transition. Um, it's uh, it's in fact, the truth. Um, I hope you see, as we walk through Proverbs 31, by the time we're done, I hope you see not just uh, the standard that God gives for our women, but I hope you see His great love in doing that. In that He has given us mothers and He has given us the high standard uh, of a godly woman. Uh, it is a loving thing for our God to do. As I studied this passage, I was just uh, increasingly thankful for my wife, for my mother, and uh, I, was, I was thankful to God for the standard that he's put in place. Uh, and I just found myself, uh, even late last night, just amazed at our God. So I, I pray this, this passage causes you, as we've seen, to understand how much God truly loves his children. Well... Uh, we're going to be in Proverbs 31, but I want to do something a little, little different on this Mother's Day. And you say, well, Proverbs 31, I mean, that's the, that's the classic passage on women and wives and marriage and, and uh, uh, mothering. So how much more predictable can I get on Mother's Day than to do Proverbs 31? And if you know me well, I, I don't like being predictable. Uh, last year we looked at Jael, uh, a woman who jammed a tent peg through her husband's head because he wasn't following the Lord, okay? And I don't recommend that, but I'm just saying... Uh, I look for like those out there kind of things. I don't like doing just the normal deals. And I kind of struggle with these holiday messages, but uh, I'm under no obligation to do this. I'm doing this because I think it will cause us to love the Lord more and appreciate our wives and mothers more. Um, but here's what I want to do different this morning. Ladies, you just relax, okay? Proverbs 31 is a difficult passage, all right? Uh, but here's the good news. I'm going to preach it to the men this morning. How about that? I'm going to preach it to the men this morning, and we need it. Guys, we're, we're an insensitive bunch, okay, the lot of us. All right, let me, let me give you a story to illustrate this. I, uh, last week, my wife, was, uh, my wife was out shopping to get her mom uh, a little Mother's Day package thing put, put together, and uh, Kimberly's mom is hours away, my mom is hours away, and uh, she was getting some stuff together to mail to her mom, so I said, yeah, 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 I need, I need to do that. Uh, got it. And she's saying, you got to get it in the mail by a certain time if you want to get it. I'm, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, she was getting the whole foot, uh, you know, spa kind of stuff. She got her, like, the flip-flops and nail polish and all that, you know, whatever all that foot stuff is you guys do. And she was putting all that kind of gas. Ah, you know, that's kind of cool. But I didn't want to do the same thing. So I had this, had this bright idea, and I was excited about this, right? Uh, I saw this, this banana split dish in the store. And it struck me, my mom loves banana splits. We don't really eat banana splits anymore. You don't see people just eating banana splits, but my mom loves banana splits. And when she was at my house last, uh, she wanted a banana split, and I thought she was weird. I'm like, who eats banana splits anymore? But she wanted a banana split, and we didn't have all this stuff. So I, I saw this dish, and I thought, that's what I'm going to do right there. I bought this cool banana split dish. By the way, Corey, did you, did you say anything? Okay, good. I'm a good son. I'm a good son. Every holiday, we, we have to remind each other. Who to get. We don't remind each other to send something because we want to be the good son. So I am the good son. Anyway, uh, I found this, uh, this 
banana split dish. It was a real cool dish. And I got, uh, I went to the grocery store and I, I got a banana. I looked for a real green banana because I had to ship this thing. And, uh, but the one day that the grocery store doesn't have green bananas, you know, they're all perfectly ripe. Uh, so I got this barely green banana and it didn't make it. Uh, it was stinky and mushy when it got there. But anyway, it's a thought that counts, right? Uh, and then I got, I went to the ice cream section. I got, you know, I got this jar of strawberry sauce and a jar of chocolate fudge. I got this jar of candied walnuts that she likes and this big jar of uh, cherries that she loves. And uh, what else did I get? I couldn't figure I could put whipped cream in there. But I just got, I got everything that you put on a banana split that I could get, and I put it in a box, and it weighed a ton because there's glass jars and stuff, but that's all right. And I mailed it to her, and I was so excited, right? And I mailed this to her, and Kimberly had gotten her card already for me on my behalf. And she put it in the box, and she took it to the post office, and she wrapped it up, she mailed it all, and she mailed her mom's. And a couple days go by, uh, my mom gets her deal, her box, um, a couple days early. And I don't know about this personally. I just know because she called my wife. All right, and see, here's what happens. Kimberly calls me. I'm sitting here in the office, and she calls me, and she's just laughing. I'm like, what's so funny? And she says, well, your mom just called and left me this long message, so thankful for, for the gift that I sent her and how thoughtful it was and that she's such a good daughter-in-law, and then she put all this time, and she just loved the cherries, and she loved this, and she loved that. And, and she's just gushing over what, what we sent uh, to my wife, thankful to my wife assuming that her son could not do such thing, okay? So I call my mama, Karen, I'll have you know that it was all my idea. I picked out the cherries. I picked out the mushy brown banana. I found the plate all by myself. It was me. How dare you assume that it was my wife? And she just chuckled, said, okay, son. Thank you. Like, she didn't even believe me. The reason being because, um, like I said, if it wasn't for my wife reminding me that I needed to get this thing in the mail, I probably wouldn't have done it. And my wife, you know, she, she's always buying the card and saying, here, give this to so-and-so. Give this to your mom. We're just terrible about that, guys. We're just terrible about it, the most of us, right? And we need a lot of help with that. So this morning, can I give you some help? Can I give you some help? Uh, I want to show you men the standard that God lays on our women, and it is, it is no low bar. Okay? Men, it is no low bar. Uh, when I was in college, I, uh, I was a pretty fresh Christian. I'd just been saved out of high school, and I got to, got to college in this big new world. And, and I, was, I was, you know, trying to keep my mind right and focused and, you know, playing ball and doing my schoolwork, et cetera. And, uh, but there was this girl, and uh, she kept bugging me and chasing me around. And uh, I would just mind my own business. I happened to be a football player, and she just happened to be a cheerleader. I remember one day in particular, I'm talking about my wife here. I remember one day in particular, I'm sitting in the cafeteria at uh, Cumberland College, and I'm minding my own business, mind you, okay? I'm, I'm staring at my cereal. I think I probably had a Bible sitting there. I was maybe praying and meditating on the Word. And uh, I, I, I'm serious. I'm just eating uh, eating my cereal, and this girl, very attractive, charming young lady, comes sits down at the table, and, and, and we had been talking for a little while, and, and my wallet was sitting on the table. And uh, she picks up my wallet, and she starts thumbing through it, you know, flirting with me, just going through my stuff. And I'm, again, trying to focus on the Lord and pray and uh, mind my own business. And she's going through my wallet, and she pulls out this slip of paper that I had tucked in my wallet. And on this slip of paper, 
is Proverbs 31, and it had a couple verses. Had a couple verses. An excellent wife who can find. She's more precious than jewels. More rare than rubies, I wrote down. And then I wrote down a later verse towards the end of the chapter. It says, uh, beauty is deceitful. Char- or charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I had that written down in there. And, and I'll just admit to you, I had it tucked in there. and It was more like a good luck charm. I really didn't know a whole lot about what that meant, frankly. I was a new Christian. Nobody really taught me what it meant. But somewhere I got it, and some, for some reason I wrote it down, and I shoved my wallet, and I thought almost like this, you know, just this lucky uh, rabbit's foot that if I kept it in there, that's the kind of woman I'd find. And, and I didn't, again, I didn't really know what it meant. I thought... Frankly, I'll tell you, I thought, you know, it's obvious that it's hard to find a good woman. I mean, that makes sense to me. And the whole charm is deceitful, beauty is vain kind of deal. I thought, well, um, you know, as a Christian, my duty is to marry an ugly woman. That if I marry a, if I marry a really hot woman, uh, I'm probably not in the Lord's will. I, I, I kind of thought that's what it meant. And uh, so I didn't really know what it meant. And Kimberly didn't say anything. I remember, I remember her face. She pulled it out. She read it. Proverbs 31. She read these couple passages and she kind of... She kind of shriveled her brow, and she put it back in there. And I don't remember any more of that conversation. I remember later on, as we were dating and getting more serious, et cetera, her telling me, uh, her recalling, pulling that out of my wallet. And it, it just flooring her as she read it. And later on, she went back, and she read the whole chapter. And, and she sees this, this standard of superwoman, if you will. And, and it's as if she said, she said, you know, it's just kind of frustrating, you know. Uh, that this this standard is is so high. You know what man put this down on paper for us to attain to? You know, and um, from that point on, I've kind of realized that um, this this is no low bar. It, it is a high standard for our women to achieve. So let me let me say a few things. Let me say a few things before I get into the get into the chapter. And we're going to go pretty quickly through the chapter. But I, I feel like I need to I need to say a few things before we get there. Uh, this standard, ladies, is hard enough. But when you add on top of the standard that God gives, the expectations of the world, it becomes near impossible. And a couple things happen. Uh, you get bogged down in it when you not only take upon yourself what God has designed for you as your role uh, in humanity, but when you add to it other roles that weren't necessarily designed for you, but our world heaps them upon you. And you try and carry both and you try and balance all these extra plates and you try and uh, be successful in areas that maybe God hasn't designed you to be successful while you're still trying to be successful in these other areas. You, number one, get bogged down. Number two, uh, you end up bitter, bitter towards yourself, bitter towards uh, uh, your husband, you know, because he's doing his deal and you're doing your deal. But the world's put his part of his deal on top of you, too. And you've got this you've got this struggle trying to balance it all. It's a it's a weight and it's a burden. So let me say a couple things. Number one, this is the bar. This is the model. This is, this is the high bar. It's the standard. And ladies, it is for you to look at as a standard. Frankly, I don't know that I've ever met a woman who meets all these perfectly. But this is the standard. And so you're to see it as such. All right? You strive for this to, an ever increasing, to ever increasingly become, uh, have it become a reality in your life. Number two, let me say this. Uh, I don't have time this morning to contemporize this passage, okay? I don't have time this morning to 
contemporize this passage. I'm just going to give it to you as it is, and I'll save the, well, this could mean now for this today. Because, ladies, you're not out, you know, searching for wool and flax, most of you, and there are no merchant ships in Jefferson. And I don't really have time to contemporize this and apply it to how, how it changes and how it adjusts for today, okay? That's another message for another day. I really want you to see the bigger picture. There's a, there's a, there's a more important overall point that I want you to see this morning. So um, let me skip that, okay? Let me skip explaining how this measures up for you in today's contemporary world. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip that. Number three, uh, your mama may not be here this morning. And by here, I mean on this earth. And so very simply, let me encourage you, for those of you who, whose mothers have uh, gone on to be with the Lord, let me encourage you to thank God this morning. As you, as you look at the standard with us, would you search for the ways that your mother, when she was here with you, uh, perhaps looks like this model woman, all right? And as you see those things, would you praise God and thank the Lord for the mother he blessed you with, that she measured up in this way, in this sense, in this place, okay? Number four, um, before Grady and Corbin were born, uh, and some of you know this, but many of you may not, uh, before Grady and Corbin were born, uh, Kimberly was pregnant before that, went almost three months and miscarried our first child. Doctor said it was a little boy. We named him Andrew, and uh, we still think and talk about him often. And um, uh, I remember I was working at a, at a church at the time, and it seems to me, and I don't remember exactly, but it seems to me that the very next Sunday we were both in church after our heart had been ripped out in that way was Baby Dedication Sunday. And in this large church, Baby Dedication Sunday was no small deal. We'd bring kids up in, in herds, okay, and you'd line them up across the stage, and there'd just be this mass baby dedication, like a dozen babies at one time, and grandparents are out there taking pictures, and everybody's excited, and everybody's laughing. And Kimberly and I were sitting right over there on the side of the stage, I still remember, uh, holding her hand and just, just, <laughs> just struggling, not just myself, but for her. It was a wonderful day for these people, and we had no hard feelings towards them. But I just remember the weight that was on us. It was a, it was a bad day for us. Okay? Um, so let me say this. Uh, I am sensitive this morning that as I teach this, uh, this day of celebration of Mother's Day is not, a, uh, not as joyful of a day for some of those who might hear this message. Some of you uh, aren't able to have children, perhaps. Don't have all the children you would like, perhaps have lost children, perhaps uh, even some of you struggle with the idea of whether or not you should even have children at all, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Today could be a tough day for you. And I just want to say, I don't have time to preach to, to the end of any of those this morning, but I just wanted to say because as I sat uh, on that side of the stage during baby dedication after we had just lost a child, uh, I, just, I just wanted someone to say, well, we recognize, we recognize and all, all of you are celebrating this day. So I just want you to know that um, I am not unaware of your pain. And as you allow me to preach this passage with all my heart, I promise to keep you in my heart. Okay? You're not, you're not far from my thoughts. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, finally, number five. If you don't like this message, if you don't like something about this, uh, this teaching, if you don't like something specifically about uh, God's standard for women in this text, please don't email me your hate mail. Okay? All right? Please don't email me. Here's the email address you use. E-L-D-E-R, Elder, V-I-C, Elder Vic, at Cornerstone. Uh, yeah, 
All right, so let's get into this. Guys, let me show you the standard to which our women are charged. And ladies, you be honored today as you listen to all that God has entrusted you as a woman and a mother with. All right, so you just relax. Verse 10 of chapter 31. An excellent wife who can find her, for her worth is far above jewels. Literally, could be translated rubies. Some translations translate it uh, pearls. The idea here is that you find whatever is the most rare and precious on earth, and this surpasses it. It's harder to find this woman. What kind of woman? An excellent woman. Literally, it's a woman of force, the Hebrew word is. She's like a Jedi knight right here is what the author has in mind, I'm convinced. She has the force. She is a, she is a strong woman. She is, she is a force of nature, so to speak, okay? She is no wallflower. She is no one, she's not in the background. She's not been uh, relegated to the back burner. She is a force. She's of substance. She's of strength. She makes an impact. She leaves her mark. That's an excellent woman. That's what the author has in mind here. And he says, who can find her is very, very rare. Now, some of you ladies are saying, thanks. You know, like none of us are qualified for this. Uh, Let me just give you another verse, ladies. Flip back to uh, Proverbs 20, verse 6. There's a similar passage about men. Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many a man proclaims his loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? All right. So we've got our faults, too, ladies. All right. If you needed a passage right there to use against your husbands later, who can find a trustworthy man? We just out there proclaiming our loyalty and it's rare. This woman, she's rare. Now, let's look at her right here. Let's look at her in the context of being a wife. Verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts her. Underline that word trusts. He trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. This is, a, this is in the context of finances right here. The idea is that the husband is providing for his family. He's bringing home as much as he can to provide for his family. And this woman can be trusted with all that he brings home. He will not, uh, she will not cost him anything. She will not be a detriment to him in any way. She's not a liability to the work that he is doing. What he brings home, he can lay at her feet and he can trust her with it. She is, the the idea is, she is a steward of all that she's been given. And her husband can rest easy at night that she's not going to blow it. That she's going to manage it well and she's going to have his best interest in mind. And she's not going to take it lightly. And she's going to be trusted by him. It speaks to her character as a wife. All that he does and brings home, he has to give it no second thought. Listen to what one commentator said. She is the steward of all that which he has provided. And he has no lack of gain because of her stewardship, her management, her wisdom, her care. And that frees him to be everything he can be in the pursuit of bread for the family and also freedom from anxiety. Because he knows whatever he brings in, she cares for as a treasure. Definitely, she is in charge of domestic matters, using and accounting for the resources of the home. So he is free to give himself to work. She helps him to profit. She devotes herself to the care of his earnings. She is careful. She is wise. She is scrupulous. And he can leave home and never give it a second thought. He can give his whole heart to that which, he, which compels him in his profession, his business, his work, and to know that all is cared for. Her character as a wife, she is totally trustworthy. She is a steward of everything that he provides for her. 
She is definitely on the receiving end of his provision, and she cares for it as a precious treasure. That's what it means that he trusts her. He has no doubt that she's going to rip him off or sell him short. Keep going. Verse 12. Not only that, she does him good and not evil. Is it possible for a woman to do a man evil? Uh, I won't do it, but uh, I've got marked in red for one day when my boys get older. Uh, throughout the book of Proverbs, uh, if you were to look through my Bible, there are a bunch of circles in red. Uh, let me just find one here for you because uh, there's a bunch here. It's better, uh, Proverbs 21, verse 9, it's better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. That's, the, that's the, one of the main themes of the book of Proverbs to young men. You don't want to end up with the wrong woman. She can cause you harm. Uh, one proverb says it's like a leaking roof. It can drive you insane. Drip, drip, drip. That nagging is like the, the leaking of a roof, one proverb says. So she does him good, this woman here in Proverbs 31, and not evil. And how long does she do it? And how consistently and how often? What's it say? All the days of her life. Her love and her respect for her husband is not circumstantial, in other words. It doesn't come and go based on what he's doing, based on what he's provided, etc. Her love for him is on a higher plane than that. All the days of her life, she does him good. She has his back. She's not talking bad about him to her sister or to her mother-in-law or to her mother, etc. She does him good. She does him good and not evil. Uh, You want to see a corresponding verse to this? Look over in verse 23. If she does this, if she's verse 11 and verse 12, here's what the man gets, verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. The idea is here, it's not elevating him, but uh, he is being elevated. But the context is that he's being elevated. He can have this position of leadership and authority because his wife is doing what she is called by God to do. She, in a sense, has not disqualified him for serving in a leadership role. Can that happen? That a man can have all the gifts, talents, and abilities to serve in leadership in a various number of capacities. But because of his marriage, because of the strife at home, because his wife isn't verse 11, isn't verse 12, he is disqualified. It sure can happen. Yeah. So that's, the, that's what the guy benefits from this. You get a woman like verse 11, can be trusted. She's giving no, no reason Uh, No liability, no lack of gain to her husband. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Uh, She's encouraging. She builds him up. This is an amazing woman right here. The fact that she does it all the days of her life, the idea is that uh, she is selfless. Because believe me, and women, you know this. uh, You can elbow your husbands right here. He doesn't every day deserve it. We don't every day deserve that you do us good and not evil. There are some days that we deserve that you do us wrong, right? But the Proverbs 31 woman, she's got a higher standard. That even when we, even when we do wrong, even when we fall short, uh, she lives on a higher plane right here. She does him well, not bad. Every day of her life. Verse 13, we're going to get a little more specific here. We're going to get into the area of homemaking. Sensitive topic right here. Don't email me. Verse 13, she looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. Let me tell you what that means. Wool was used for warmth. She goes out and she finds wool so she can sew some clothes for warmth. Flax was used to make linen. Conversely, in the summer, it gets real hot in Jerusalem. Okay, 
And so you need light clothes. Wool was used to keep you warm. Flax was used to spin some linen to keep, uh, to keep you cool, to make cooler clothes. And the idea is she goes out and finds the best she can find. She doesn't just settle for whatever's there in front of her, whatever they offer to her in the market, whatever she's got at the house. She's ambitious. She goes out and finds the best wool and the best flax. And she works with her hands, literally her palms, in delight. She finds quality products. And because of her sacrificial love for him, uh, she doesn't necessarily have to like this, okay, in order to delight in it. Understand this. She doesn't necessarily have to find great pleasure in the work itself. In fact, the context is that she, she works her fingers to the bone. That her palms are being uh, blistered by the work she's doing. She's working hard. She's going beyond the call of duty right here. She's going to find the best, best things to uh, make these deals with. Uh, but she does it because she is selfless and because of her love for her husband and her love, ultimately, you'll see, for her God. And so she works with her hands. Verse 14, like a merchant ships, or she is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. Let me tell you what this means. Uh, merchant ships would bring in, bring in new foods. They would bring in fresh foods. They would bring in exciting foods. The idea is she wouldn't just go and get what's ever down on the corner uh, to eat. She would go and she would find something that would be new, creative, pleasing, a blessing to her family. Right? She didn't just settle uh, that her that her family had beans and rice to eat. Okay, she went and she did something more than that. Her heart was that she would go the extra mile for her family. Okay, she is selfless in all these things she does. It's not just about her fulfillment; it's about what she's doing for her family. She's like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. Verse fifteen. Look at this. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household. Uh, in this culture, uh, there wasn't any electricity, you understand. They would keep cl- little small clay pots, and they would put oil in these pots. Uh, most of the time it was olive oil, and they would, they would put a wick in there, and they would burn these uh, candles uh, all day and all night, uh, or at least all night if they didn't need it in the house uh, in a dark area at night. And they would burn this thing all night. They'd leave one all night burning. And it was the it was the wife's job that at some time after midnight, because you typically in this day and time, you went to bed when it got dark and there wasn't much else you can do without electricity. So you went to bed when it got dark. So that that was early. Right. Sometimes after midnight, after midnight, that jar wasn't going to last. So it was her responsibility to get up and fill the jar. So the idea here is that she got up and she did her duty. Not because she wanted to get up, not because she just loved getting up in the middle of the night, but she did it selflessly for her family. There was something more important to her than her own selfish gain. There was something more important to her than her sleep, than her own self-indulgement. Okay? So she gets up and she fills this, this jar with oil so that, so that it doesn't go out. All right? Look what else it says. And gives food to her household. Uh, she gets up and she fills this oil and she goes ahead and in the cool of the night, because it got pretty hot during the day, she goes ahead and she starts preparing food for the next day. There were no fast food restaurants, okay? Uh, the market, markets uh, didn't come with food necessarily already prepared, 
uh, for breakfast, okay? There were no Pop-Tarts. There were no uh, toaster strudels. There were none of these things, all right? So she had to prepare not only for breakfast, she had to prepare also uh, what her husband might have to take to lunch, what the kids might have to take out uh, as they leave to go to school or to help work, etc. She had to prepare for all that. And so you see her work started early. She gets up, not of her own accord, but she does it selflessly. She does it selflessly and gives food to her household. Look at the next line. And portions to her maidens. That word portions, it's not, it's not in, the, in, the, in the sense of food. It's not a portion of food. It's literally tasks, right? So all those who work in her household in the middle of the night, early in the morning, she starts divvying out the tasks so that the household runs smoothly. She's a manager of this house. This is no small task. This is no small task. One scholar said it this way, to depreciate the role of a homemaker is pretty foolish. The breadth of the role of a homemaker is amazing. To be able to be an economist, a steward of funds and resources, to be able to analyze all the products available, to be strong enough and well-planned enough to make the right moves at the right time, to acquire the right things, to be fully a wife to your husband and to to be a tender and loving mother to all of your children, to apportion all the responsibilities to everybody who's a part of the labor force there in your home, that takes some kind of woman, all right? Do you understand how this woman is a force to be reckoned with? Her duty is nothing small here, and it's not easy. But she does it selflessly. I heard a story. One guy was reading this passage, and he says, Honey, Verse 15 here says that she rises in the, in the night, give food to her household. How about some eggs and bacon in the morning? Some coffee when I get up? Uh, biscuits and gravy? What do you think? She looked at the passage. She said, maybe when you get me some of them there maidens, I can get you your breakfast in the middle of the night. Anyway, don't miss that. Maids, get it. Anyway. I'm going to scratch that one off for next time. (laughs) Let's keep going here. Verse 16. Verse 16 says she considers a field. Now, this is strange right here. This isn't what we think about a godly woman, is it? It's not what the world thinks about a godly woman. She considers a field and she buys it from her earnings and she plants a vineyard. Uh, Number one, what's she doing going out buying property, the world says? Uh, It doesn't say anything about her asking her husband about this. It seems like a pretty big purchase, don't you think? Notice it says she goes out and, and she buys it from her earnings and she plants herself a vineyard. Uh, the idea is that she notices, all right, she's ambitious enough and she's aware enough that perhaps she notices that there's a piece of land adjacent to their property and uh, it's the right price and it would do her family well to have it. And she's got money. How does she have money? Jump down to verse 24. Verse 24 says she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. She had a little side job going on in here. As she's providing for her family, she's making extra and she's selling them at the, at the, uh, uh, down there at the uh, merchant ships probably. Okay? And she's bringing in a little extra money. And he's not keeping track of that money necessarily. When the opportunity arises, she moves on it. This is a force. You see this? This is a force of a woman. She considers a field and she buys it from her earnings. She plants a vineyard. Verse 17, she girds herself with strength. Literally, she, she is uh, disciplined. She wraps, she's enwrapped in strength, committedness, her love for her family. 
Uh, verse 17 says, and it makes her arms strong. This isn't, this isn't necessarily talking about her, her going to the gym and, and working out and being healthy, etc., and being a strong woman at home, right? Uh, the context here is that she is a strong woman. Her arms are made strong by the ambition she has for the work that God has given her, okay? She works hard and diligent, and it, by, by, by natural process, strengthens her right here. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with going to the gym. I'm just saying. It's not a requirement right here. Uh, Verse 18. Look what else she does. She senses that her gain is good and her lamp does not go out at night. This is one of my favorite verses right here for you ladies. It's the idea that she, she gets it. She gets it. She's not burdened by her duty. She's not burdened by what she's doing. She gets it. She gets it because she loves her family. She understands what 1 Timothy 2 says, that this is her, her uh, soter, it is her salvation. I'll explain more about that next week because we're not going to leave this topic too soon. Uh, this, is, this is what God has given her to redeem herself. She was deceived. Eve was deceived in the fall. Women can redeem themselves right here. How can they do it? How will they be fulfilled? All this right here. They become this kind of woman, and they, they are fulfilled in, in, in a way no other, no other job, no other career, no other uh, reward, no other anything could give them in this world. She, she senses that her gain is good. It's to benefit the family. It's a reward to her. And because of that, her lamp does not go out at night. Uh, what this means is, because she, because she knows this is a benefit to her family, uh, she finds that she's compelled to do it more and more and more. And she doesn't just turn the lamp out at night, but she stays up. And she, she goes overtime right here in the home. And she gets up early, not just to check that lamp oil, but to get things going. Why? Not because it's necessarily a duty, but because her great love for her family. She's selfless in this. I mean, keep going here. I'm running out of time. Verse 19, she stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. Maybe while she's up late at night, she's doing extra work here. Verse 21, skip verse 20. We'll come back to it. She's not afraid of the snow for her household. Did you know it snows every now and then in Jerusalem? It can actually get very cold at night specifically and even during the day. This wool that she would need not only to make blankets and coverings for the home, but they needed wool clothes to go out. And so uh, this woman, she's not afraid of that, that rare snow that might come. All right, she's prepared for even that chance that it's going to snow in Jerusalem. Okay, she's not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. It's most likely wool, but the author puts down here that it's scarlet. Scarlet was rare, and it's a it's a color of royalty. Uh, the point is that she doesn't just put something on them to keep them warm. She she dresses them, she dresses them intently, and gracefully, and purposefully, and lavishly. She puts her heart and her soul into this. She's not just doing a duty here. She loves her home. She loves her family. This is an amazing woman right here. Verse 22, not only that, she makes coverings for herself. That doesn't mean uh, clothes. It specifically means means tapestries for the house, decorations, pillows, blankets, etc. It's the word for those type of coverings, not the coverings that she would wear. The next phrase, her clothing is fine linen and purple. She's not, it's not, not just walking around in, uh, in a potato sack here at home. Uh, she looks good. 
She's not just taking care of the house. She's taking care of herself. Okay. Uh, notice it doesn't say she's walking around in silk gowns here, guys. Okay. Uh, it's not about uh, luxury. It's not about extravagance. It's about grace and dignity right here. Uh, nothing extravagant here about, about uh, fine linen. Okay. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, but it's not over the top. All right. So she not only takes care of the house, she not only takes care of uh, the needs that would arise, she not only takes care of the coverings for everything in the house, uh, she takes care of herself right here. Well, go back to verse 20. Let me show you this. She extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. Uh, I've got to give you one mama story right here, aside from one about my mama not appreciating the gift I sent her. Uh, I have some fond memories of my mother, and uh, there's one that stands out beyond all others. My mom is one of the most compassionate, uh, giving people that I know. Uh, I've never known my mom to be, uh, in the very least, materialistic. Uh, she, I never knew her to, uh, uh, to be upset because she couldn't have something, materially speaking. Uh, and I've always admired that about her. I remember uh, one time in particular, like it was yesterday, sitting at our kitchen table, and uh, I remember where I was sitting. I remember where my father was sitting. I remember where my mother was sitting and where my brother was sitting. And I remember on the table, uh, she had offered up to us some steak and rice and corn. That's what we always had, rice and corn. Anyway, uh, she had given us some steak on the table. And uh, we, we weren't particularly a uh, rich family. In fact, we were pretty short on cash, uh, a good part of my childhood, I remember, to the point where uh, not only would we go hunting on occasion for, for joy and pleasure, Brian, uh, we'd go hunting because... We had to go hunting. Uh, I remember in particular going squirrel hunting in the evening one time because there wasn't nothing else to eat. And Dad said, come on, boys, we're going squirrel hunting. Normally we go squirrel hunting at like 4 in the morning. Why are we going squirrel hunting now? Well, if we want to eat dinner, we're going, to, we're going hunting. All right? So I, I started to realize that there wasn't a whole lot of cash just laying around in our house. I remember in particular one, one evening sitting in our, at our dinner table and uh, they're being, uh, and when I say steak, I'm talking about cube steak. I didn't know anything about ribeyes or New York strips or anything else like that. I'm talking about cube steaks, right? Uh, sitting on the table there, and me and my brother, I think I was in middle school, and he's probably in high school. Uh, I remember looking at, that, looking at that plate of meat there, and there, was, there were uh, four, maybe five or six cube steaks on the table, and four of us. And I had mine, and my brother had his, and my dad had his. And uh, I remember looking at it and, and still being hungry. And my mom said, here, take this. Go ahead and eat that. And her not having, a, having, having but a, a scoop of peas on her plate. Okay? And I remember looking at her face and knowing, this lady's hungry. <laughs> and she didn't say a word. She just put it on my plate. And she sat there and ate her peas and rice. And she, she never said a word. And I noticed as a young man, I said, that, there's something divine about that. There's something godly about that. This is, a, this is a, a rare find here. She extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. Not just to the ones that come to her, but she goes after them is the idea. She's not just taking care of her house, but she's noticing everything else that's going on around her. And she, she is merciful to those who are in need outside of her home. What an amazing woman this is right here. This is, this is a force to be reckoned with, gentlemen. Well... Verse 24, uh, we already got through that. Where are we at? 25. Strength and dignity. Look at how she becomes a teacher here. Strength and dignity are her clothing. It's the idea that she is trustworthy. She is dignified. She has integrity. 
She is the anchor of the family. She has spiritual character that reaches depths uh, that we might not understand. She is strong and dignified. Those are the things that she clothes herself with. She doesn't lavish herself. She's not worried about the outside garments and accoutrements. She takes care of herself in that way. But her real strength, her real beauty, is when she clothes herself with dignity, character, spiritual integrity. Right here. Well, it says she smiles at the future. Where am I? I'm I'm skipping around here. Uh, She opens her mouth with wisdom and with teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. The fact that she smiles to the future is another idea that she, she knows what's coming and she's prepared for it. And not only is she prepared for it by all the things that she's done in the above verses, but she trusts in her God. Her depth of character and strength is in her God. And you see that because when she opens her mouth, what comes out? Wisdom. Where does she get her wisdom? It's from the, literally the law of kindness which is on her tongue. It's the idea that her life as she is living in her home matches her strength, her integrity, her dignity match what comes out of her mouth. And what comes out of her matches what they see in the home. It doesn't come out abruptly. It doesn't come out harshly. She does not tearing down the home. She's kind in bringing the law and wisdom. She's gracious. She's gracious. Verse 27 is a sort of a summary of all this. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not wasting time. She's not, as Timothy would say when he mentions to the wife not to be idle, she's not just gossiping, wasting time, being undiligent. But she looks well to the ways of her household. Do you see how this woman, it's a, multi, a multifunctional role here. She is, she is a manager of this home. She is an economist. She's a good neighbor. She's a good wife. She can be trusted. She's sharp. She's wise. She's dignified. She's strong. She's ambitious. She doesn't take any shortcuts. She's selfless. All this, all this because of the love she has for her family, her home, her husband. But look at what else. The end of the chapter, it tells you why she does all this. Um, in verse 28, you see that she's going to get a reward right here. Ladies, the first half of your life, one, one pastor said, you are making an investment into your family. The second half of your life, hopefully you start to reap some of the benefits. In verse 28, here's one of the benefits. Her children, this woman, this force, her children rise up and bless her. Her children rise up and bless her. Bill Cosby says this the best. You know, if you've ever seen these old Bill Cosby himself... He does this bit where he's talking about, you know, a man raises his son. He takes him out in the backyard and says, two-year-old, it's time to, time to learn how to play some football. Get that football. Tackle that tree, son. Bite it. Rah, rah. And he's going through this deal here, how dad raises him up, throws him football every day, and teaches him how to run, teaches him how to tackle. He's wrestling with him. He's making him a man. Son grows up, and he plays ball, becomes this all-star. He, uh, he's playing in the, in the game of his life, runs down the field, catches this, this touchdown pass, wins the game, and the camera's in his face right there in the end zone. And the first thing he says is, hi, mom. Remember this? Her children rise up. Uh, ladies, be encouraged. Uh, your sons, uh, like their fathers, are, 
are often insensitive. Right now, my two boys, they don't understand a lick of what mom does around, around the house. They don't understand what she's giving up for them. They don't understand the love, the selflessness she is, she is uh, giving for them. One day they'll get it. One day they'll get it. And they will rise up, Scripture says, and call her blessed. Not only them, but look at what it says her husband has to say. Her husband also. He praises her, and this is what he says. Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful. This is the summary of the passage. Charm is deceitful. In beauty, it's vain. Charm is literally, in the Hebrew, it means the bodily form. It's the outside. It's the superficial. That's deceitful. It can fool you. In beauty, it's vanity. It has no real value. He says, let me tell you where the real value is. Verse 30, a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, that's at the end, but that's really the root of this whole thing. Uh, Gentlemen, if you're single and you're out looking for a woman, or men, as you teach your sons, uh, it's pretty hard to teach him this passage and tell him to uh, go through in his dating life and start checking off these things uh, in the life of the woman he's dating. If you've got one thing you need to tell your son, you tell him this verse right here. Right here. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is in vain. But look for the woman who fears the Lord. And I guarantee you, all this other stuff will begin to take care of itself. Can I just confess to you a little bit right here? Kimberly and I both in college, when we were dating and we got married in our early years, we were both uh, baby Christians. We didn't have very good discipleship in our early years, etc. We were kind of winging it. And we weren't doing a great job at it, frankly. Uh, I had, uh, and we still do have a bunch of faults. She does, and so do I. And we still have places where we have to measure up. And we have good days and we have bad days. Uh, but let me, just, let me just tell you right here, um, I lucked out. Let me, let me tell you why. Um, I'll, just, I'll just tell you, when I first saw my wife, I didn't know anything about her character. I just knew she was hot. Okay? Uh, and, and we got together for all the wrong reasons, frankly. Um, but one thing saved us. And one thing saves us to this day is that I can trust her and I can, I can trust that God can work out all this other stuff because of one thing I discovered soon after we were married. She fears the Lord. She fears the Lord. She's got that. God can work on her and all this stuff. I don't have to worry about any of it. I don't have to worry about any of it. He'll convict her where she needs convicting. He'll grow her where she needs growing. Uh, my wife... She, she's not, and she'll tell you, she's not the, the greatest cook. She doesn't really like cooking, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just using this as an example. And again, I'm not going to contemporize this, okay? Uh, I love to cook, so I do some of that, et cetera. But one thing I've come to appreciate about my wife, and this is just an example of what I, the point I'm trying to make here, is because she loves the Lord, because of her fear for the Lord, because she understands the way God has designed her and the role she has, okay? She longs to do things that even she doesn't like to do or do well. Why? Because she loves her husband. She loves her family. She loves her God. She won't just slop anything down on the plate. She worries. She gets ulcers about going to the grocery store and making sure we're not eating the same thing five days in a row. Okay? She worries that my kids have clothes that fit them. She worries that they're warm at night. 
she, she stresses about that stuff, okay? What I appreciate is that she does it not because it necessarily comes natural, but because she loves the Lord and she knows it's been given to her as a responsibility to be concerned about these things. Yeah. Verse 31, guys, here's our part. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Now, I'm a little bit over, but I've got to finish this. Close your Bible. Hold your finger in Proverbs 31. Close your Bible if you've got it there. Uh, the book of Proverbs is a collection of wisdom. It's referred to, uh, among other books, as the wisdom literature. Let me give you a little trivia question here. Uh, who wrote most of the Proverbs? Do you know? Do you know? The answer is the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon. Right? Solomon. Let me give you another question. Don't look. Who wrote Proverbs chapter 31? The answer is it wasn't Solomon. Open it back up. It was technically, it was technically a woman wrote Proverbs 31. Look at verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, or however however you might say that, Lemuel. But they weren't just his words. He wrote them down. He penned them for the proverb that became scripture. But look at what he gets this. This is a direct quote from who? The oracle which is, or which his mother taught him. Ladies, I'm sorry to tell you that there wasn't some guy who created Proverbs 31 to uh, oppress you. Okay? Mama wrote Proverbs 31. Who did she write Proverbs 31 to? Look at verse 2. What, O my son, and what can I say, O son of my womb, O son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women. It's the idea of sexual immorality. Uh, those first few verses that we skipped over, 1 through 9, she basically says, don't, don't fall into uh, to women and wine. It's not for you. O son of my womb, what can I say to you? It's a mama preaching to her boy. Where does this standard come from? It comes from the mom who loves her son and wants the best for him. Uh, incidentally, some scholars believe that uh, Lemuel is, a, uh, is, a, is an affectionate name for Solomon and that the author, the mother that uh, they speak about here in verse 1, is none other than Bathsheba. Wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't that be interesting? Ladies, this is a hard standard. I can promise you something, though. You give your life to this endeavor, and we're going to talk more about this next week. You give your life to this endeavor, a husband, a home, a family, your children. uh, You'll be fulfilled in a way that nothing else on earth could ever fulfill you. No ambition, no career, no achievement, no reward could measure up. Nothing will fulfill you in the way that you'll be fulfilled, becoming a woman, like a Proverbs 31 woman. Why is that? Simply because God has made you for this. God has made you for this. And in his divine wisdom and plan and sovereignty, he's given you a role to play. Now, you come back next week, and we're going to look at First Timothy, and I'm going to show you a little bit uh, more specifically what that is. All right? But where do you start? Where do you start, ladies? As you look at this standard, as you look at this model woman, can I tell you where you start? You start at the end. 
A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You love your God. He'll get all this other stuff lined up. He'll help you contemporize it even. He'll help you figure out what, what you can do in the modern day searching for wool and flax, rising early in the morning. He'll take care of all that. Okay? You start at the end. Don't be concerned about the outside. Be concerned about the inside. You get on the inside track. You fear the Lord. And all this other stuff will take care of itself. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray.